<laughs> I know many of you guys that got to be a part of the pool party and, and um, had about 700 folks gather. I, I want to make sure you understand that what's happened this summer. So through Reload St. Charles, um, many of you and many folks from our city, listen, we've invested since May $52,000 and over 2,000 man hours of volunteerism in, our, in the city of St. Charles, um, which is insane. And you guys have got to be a part of that. So can you guys just give it up for that? I mean, that's crazy, crazy. Um, in terms of our partnership with Jefferson Intermediate School, it's just beginning. We just finished the paint project. And uh, the kids will be in school here shortly. And we're going to start getting calls um, to walk alongside families and students in their journey towards restoration. And so all of you guys are going to continue to have opportunities to join in with us uh, on mission in that way. And so I hope that, I hope that you'll take that initiative uh, to not just be a part of social justice, but to really believe that you don't need permission to love. Uh, it would be very easy to just quit, honestly, in terms of mission. Like, you look at the city of St. Charles and it has overwhelming need. It would be very, very easy to quit. Um, when was the time in your life that you quit something? Or, or, or rather, when was the time in your life that you really wanted to quit? Like, it was so horrific you're like, this, like I, this has to be over now. Like, I'm not doing this class. I'm not doing this sport. I'm not doing this one more day. Uh, for me, there is one day that was absolute hell on earth, uh, literally. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been a part of two-a-days in football? Okay, any of you guys? Listen, let me, let me tell you something about when I grew up. When I grew up, there were tracks. The track had cinder on it, Okay. Now the track is like a, it's like a bounce house, okay? If you're running a race on the track that you guys all have in your high schools, it's, it's fun. It's like a party, you know? You fall down, you like roll around. When we fell when I was kids, like some people died, you know? Like they were rolled around, cinders in their eyes. It was horrible, right? So one day, freshman, freshman year of football practice, okay? Coach says, all right, boys, come on over. And I, now I understand his philosophy in doing this, but in the, in the time it was horrific. It was cruel and unusual punishment. He said, all right, boys, I want everyone to, the track was cinder. He said, all right, boys, I want everyone to, to, to put, your, put your knuckles on the cinder track. And uh, again, this, this seemed odd at first. I'm like, knuckles on the cinder track? Like, are we going to, you know, like, this, this is strange. He's like, all right, I want you to walk around the entire cinder track with your knuckles touching the cinder. And um, so th- this sounded good in theory to me for like 10 yards, you know? You're like, well, th- this can't be that bad. You know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know if you guys get bad backs, but like we're full pads, scraping our knuckles on black open like lava rock, okay? And seriously, like within 20 yards, my knuckles are already bleeding, right? It doesn't take long to like people start just to be like, I'm out. Like I, I don't, I don't want to play freshman football. Like if this is freshman football, this is crazy. But again, in my day, a coach could do that. If a coach get, did that now, like people would be fired. You know what I'm saying? In my day, principals could still spank kids in school. <laughs> Seriously, my second grade, in my second grade, I remember walking down the hallway and watching, like, through the open door, a principal take a paddle on the bottom of a student. I want to go back to those days. Like, we need some more of that, right? Now it's all, it's, it'll be okay. Like, you can do whatever you want in the school. Anyway. So about halfway around this track, like, I was just like, this is over. Like, I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave earth. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to live. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it was the most horrific experience ever. I didn't. I didn't quit. I, I made it. 
And then he said, all right, now I want you to crab walk all the way around. So I should have quit while I had the chance. But So what's, what's happened then is I'm trying to instill in my kids this idea that, that we don't quit. So we have this chant that we do as a family. Don't judge me. Um, it goes like this. I say, who are we? And all of my children and sometimes my wife, when she doesn't feel overly cheesed out, um, they all say, we're the Sigmas. And, and then, then I say, how do we treat people? And my kids say, with love and respect. And Doss right now is with love and respect. You know, like, has a little bit of a lisp. And, um, and then I say, and we never, and my kids with a resounding, like, gumption, and they say, we never quit, you know. And the boys, when they say it, they got some grit, you know. They're like, we never quit, Dad. And I could, like, they're, they're, you know, they're already painting their face, like, Rambo, Braveheart, blue, you know. They're, and my daughter, when, when, and we never, and she's like, quit. You know, like, you know, I'm like, I, okay, we can work with that, I guess. Um, <clears throat> quitting is interesting, isn't it? The most dangerous thing is, is having quit and not knowing it. I, I think that's where actually a lot of you guys find, find yourself in your faith right now. You've thrown in the towel and you don't even recognize it. Um, thankfully, the Lord hasn't thrown in the towel on you. But many of you are absolutely gripped with tremendous amounts of complacency. The last time you, you had any sort of passion for the Lord, I mean, in your heart, not outwardly, not, the, not in the expression, but the last time you, you've, you like sensed the Lord's love and the Lord's mercy, uh, the last time you had this great passion for serving the Lord just because he was the Lord. It, like it, for some of you, it's been, it's been a while. Uh, for all of us who have who are, who are and have been believers in here, like you've gone through maybe seasons of complacency. The church has battled that in a lot of ways, but my friends tonight, oh my goodness, if you've ever struggled ever with complacency or maybe what you've called a dry season, then I'm telling you what, tonight we get a profound, encouraging answers from God's word that won't be Christian relativism or just self-help. So you guys ready to take this journey with me? All right, so open your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. I'm serious. You guys are also going to get to hear my new favorite uh, Bible verse tonight. Um, so I'm excited and encouraged about that. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. Uh, it's an honor to have you guys here. Philippians chapter 3, let's start here in verse 12. We're going to get all the way to the end of chapter 3, three more weeks after tonight in Philippians. Here we go, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, he says. Which means he's continuing his thought from before, which Captain Obvious says, what was before? So look up at verse 10 of chapter 3. That I may know him, Paul says, in the power of his, of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what he's talking about is that there's one day that's coming that I'll have a resurrected body and I'll be with the Lord Jesus forever. So he says then in verse 12, I haven't already obtained this. I'm still here on earth. I haven't got my resurrected body. Not that I have already obtained this or am already, what's the word? Come on. Am already what? Perfect. Paul. Like boss hog Paul. Like the apostle Paul. The dude who's planted more churches than, you know, the guy who's written two-thirds of the New Testament. Apostle Paul confesses his lack of perfection. So if the Apostle Paul confesses his lack of perfection, then why in the world are you expecting perfection from those around you? 
You want in others what you don't want in yourself. And you're like, but, but Mark, I, I don't expect perfection in my friends, really? I don't expect perfection in my family, really? Uh, the ways and the times that they don't respond to you in the exact way that you thought right? Uh, how that relationship is going right now? The phrase that came out of their mouth? The things that started to well up in your heart because they didn't perfectly fit the mold that you even had seen prescribed in the scripture. What's happened is you started to desire of others perfection. Now, now does that mean that we should lower the bar of Christianity? No. But what it does mean is that we're creating for the world the image that you come to Jesus, he makes you perfect, and if you're not, then you can't be in the body of Christ. That was the sense that I had. Okay, my family went through a very uh, horrific, tough journey. Uh, we proved ourselves as a family as not perfect. But what the church said is, because you're, you and your family aren't perfect anymore, now you can't be a part of us. Is that what we're doing to people? Do people have the impression that you need to clean up and come to Jesus, or that you come to Jesus and he does a progressive work of cleaning you up? A progressive work. That here on this earth, we will never ever fully get there. Does that make sense? Like, you'll never, ever be perfected on this earth. It's a journey. It's sanctifying. We're growing, but we're growing in it and waiting for that. I just want to encourage you, like, can you just stop in your tracks and share in the thing that should unify us as the body? We're a bunch of people who aren't perfect who need God's grace. It should be like the one greatest unifier of us. Instead, what, what, what do we say? We create substandard walls that divide us that are based on perfection. It's crazy. Here's how he continues, beautiful. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That better encourage somebody because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Now I press on. So when you hear the words press on, what do you think of? Come on. What's a phrase or a word that you think of when you hear the words press on? What's that? Nails. Press on nails, creative. <laughs> you are a male, correct? I just wanted to make sure. Can you show us? You got any bling on tonight? Okay. No, I, okay. What else? Like press on. When you, when you guys hear the word press on, what do you think of? Just do it. Just do it. All right. He's like getting fives from his friends. Like, way to go, man. <laughs> now, when I hear the word press on, um, I definitely think of like try, work, pursuing something. That, that's what the Greek word means. It, it means to aggressively go after something. It's the opposite of complacency. So what Paul is saying is like we're moving forward. I press on. I'm not going to stay in the same place. I think the reality is uh, some of you guys have been stuck in a car before. Uh, in the mud, have you ever been stuck in the mud before? And you keep pressing the accelerator thinking that somehow it's going to change. And you're like doing it for like 20 minutes. You're like, and then you like do the old like reverse trick, you know, maybe if I just put it in reverse, it's just back and forth and everyone's like laughing at you, right? That's how many of you feel. You feel the anti or the adverse of pressing on. You, you feel like you're a car that's spinning its wheels, I think there's four different categories or attitudes in terms of pressing on that we come in here with, all right? So the first one is this. I want to look at these. I think some of you guys fall into this first category. In terms of pressing on, you say, 
I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Quite honestly, I'm done. I want to quit. Uh, life uh, has some of you. It's starting to live you. You've stopped living life. And, I mean, you're just ready to throw in the towel. Some of you have had thoughts of suicide recently. You're just like, I'm, I'm done. No one cares. I'm tired. God doesn't love me. People don't care. And so your attitude to pressing on, you, you, you even like hear the words press on, and you're like, I don't even have the energy to hear the challenge. Others of you find yourself in this uh, category number two. You're trying, but you feel like you're not getting anywhere like the car. You're like, okay, so I've added the, I've added the accountability group and I've started reading the Bible in a year plan and I like, I brought back WWJD bracelets and like I, you know, I only rock Joy FM and on and like you're trying all these things, but still you come in here tonight, like, I, but I don't feel like I'm making progress. I don't feel like I'm growing. The depth of my relationship with the Lord doesn't seem stronger uh, than, it, than it was last week. Like, I, I feel like I'm exerting a lot of effort, but I'm, I'm getting nowhere. That's where, quite honestly, a lot of you are tonight. Number three, some of you uh, find yourself uh, here. Uh, you're pressing. You're pursuing aggressively. But success is hinging on you. So unless you evangelize, no one's going to get saved. Unless you disciple, no one's going to get discipled. Unless you show up to serve, no one's going to serve. So you wake up every day, some of you who are in this category, feeling the weight and the burden of the success of the kingdom of God on your shoulders. And so that's how you live. It's every day. If I don't do it, then God's kingdom will not prevail. The amount of pressure that comes with that. Because what you realize at the end of every single day is you're like you're weak. And all of this effort that you exerted is now based on successes and failures that are ranked by you. And, and I think for any of uh, you who are in the category number three, you actually find yourself not joyful, but many of you find yourself depressed because every single day is in you, like you're back in the same place. Well, I had some successes and, and others not so much. There are some of you in the fourth category in terms of pressing on. You're resting in him while the Holy Spirit guides you. Now, the tension in my heart, and I'm just going to be 100% honest with you, is how do we press on, but it not be our own effort? We say all the time here that we don't want to pull up our bootstraps. So in other words, like week in and week out, it's not like, hey, go do this, or hey, be, be a better Christian, or hey, you need to stop cussing, or hey, stop looking at porn, or hey, it, like, that's not our heart here. So then how do you press on resting in God's ability, not pulling up your own bootstraps? Like, how do we do that? Are you guys with me? Like, I, I feel like I've wrestled with this for, uh, for years. How do, how do I ex exert effort, work hard for the kingdom of God, and, and it be solely for him? Listen, I'm telling you, hang with me tonight because the answers are in the text. It's crazy, all right? So let's keep going. No matter what category you're in tonight, this text is for all of us. He says in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. His humility is like, I'm not there. Really interesting. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, which when I did the math there, it seemed like two things. Anyone else? 
Let's, let's look at it again. Okay? Uh, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Does that not seem like two things to anyone else? So I'm like, what, like what's his problem? Like, como se dice, matematicus? Like, you know, can you not add here, Paul, what's the deal? I think he says it's one thing because the two things go hand in hand. You can't press on. You can't strain forward if you haven't forgotten what's behind. Now, most times when we talk about what's behind, we just talk about past sin. But I actually want to change the course of that conversation. What about past successes? What about past ways that you've experienced uh, God? Maybe you guys know my story. I was a part of a massive campus uh, on my college campus revival. Insane amounts of salvation, worship gatherings that never ended. I mean, just people, a whole campus consumed by Christ. What I, what I started to do in my sin after I left there is I, I tried to recreate past experiences in the present thinking that that was the only way we could experience God. So I like set up my youth ministry just like that. I like tried to like, you know, put the lights in the exact way and do the instrumentation in this way and like exactly how we did at McKendry, I tried to emulate. And so what happened was the past like, even though I could learn from it and be encouraged uh, by it, it was actually dictating my present. It had control of me. And if I wasn't encountering God in that way, then I wasn't encountering God. Some of you have that kind of mentality in terms of the body of Christ. You, you come from a, a church that rocks face, and then there's never another church that will be like that church. And I just want to right now stir every single one of us to repentance in terms of that. We're called to serve in the body of Christ. I had a brother come up to me that I got to challenge last week, all right? Listen, if you ever come up and talk to me, I absolutely love relationship. Just know, like, let's go to work. You know what I'm saying? So the brother comes up, he just thinks we're going to high five and hug it out. He's like, man, I just, I can't find another church like this back at home. And uh, I like start to, you know, I'm like, all right, brother, you know? And so here's what I told him to do. I was like, dude, here's what you do. When you go back to school, you find a church body that is preaching the Bible that is teaching the lordship of Christ, and then you go and you serve. And I was like, I don't care if there are 90-year-olds, 90 year and that's dominant, and there's a, a pipe organ, and whatever, and they're singing John Wesley, and that's all they sing. I was like, I don't care, brother. Like, you show up there, if they're preaching the truth, and you, you show up and serve. Is it going to be your style of music? Maybe not. But what an opportunity you'll have to be on mission with a whole bunch of seasoned folks in a context that doesn't make sense. That's what I love. Because listen, seriously, you guys come here. This is a unique church, just like all the other 80 churches in our city. Every church is unique. You guys understand what I'm saying? So when people say, well, there's not another Matthias, there's not another this, of course there's not. This is a unique church body, just like the church across the street or the church down the road. Does that make sense? Okay. And so when you rely on the past, just like previous sin, it will dictate your future and your present. Okay, so some of you need to release some of the previous successes or victories that you've had in Christ. Or let's say it this way too. Uh, some of you are like your whole faith is based on something that someone said like three years ago. The last time you got in God's word, like you just keep repeating the same verse. Philippians 4.13 is like your deal, you know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know? You got the t-shirt, the lower back tat. I mean, you have everything, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're on it, you're on it. But what about today? What about, what about today's daily bread? What about today's word? All right, 
So previous successes will dictate your present. And yes, the sins that still haunt you. The sins that still haunt you will 100% stagnate your present. Why? Because they cause fear. Um, This is real talk. You're all of a sudden like feeling emboldened to share the truth of the gospel with a friend. But unfortunately, that sin from a couple weeks ago comes back in your mind. And the enemy, your flesh, hey, you remember what you did? Remember that? And you want to share the gospel, you hypocrite? I'm guaranteeing you, every believer in this room has experienced that at one time or another. And so you're like, yeah, I, I guess, and you cower back. Instead of being able to celebrate the grace that's been extended to you, and in that moment being boldened by the fact that there's no condemnation in Christ. Yes, two weeks ago that happened. And I don't need to forget that it happened. What I do need to do is celebrate what God's done in spite of it. He's been gracious yet again. He's been merciful yet again. And now he's emboldened me to share with a friend, even though two weeks ago, in terms of the scripture, I completely dropped the ball. Are you guys with me? But you know what the enemy's going to do? Shut your mouth. Like, there's no way you should be speaking right now or talking or telling anyone about Christ when actually you're the very one who should be speaking to it. Because you know what grace tastes like. You're like, I need it. I needed it. Like, I'm struggling. I'm battling in this. I'm pursuing the Lord. And I just want to tell you, there is only one satisfaction in one gracious God. That's it. Like, I've looked everywhere else. They need to hear it from you. Instead, some of people's thoughts of religion or even rather Christianity are coming from religious folks who are demanding perfection. And instead, it needs to be coming from unperfected people who are being sanctified by the Spirit of God who desperately need God's grace. You guys with me, right? It's crazy. Okay. So we have to forget what lies behind. And then when we do that, he says strain towards what's ahead. Now, when you hear the word strain, what do you think of? Please, Jeff, no comments. What's that? Pain? Okay. Struggle. What else? When you hear the word strain, what do you think of? Okay, so um, I think these were made um, when I was younger, but do you guys know like the the little, um, there's like weights that they made for ankles back in the day? What were those called? Do you guys know? Yes, they were called ankle weights. Some of you guys have like, you, you guys have trained to run and they like, you know, they put the vest on you or they like, you know, strap you into the wall, right? Uh, Major League Baseball. Well, remember like, what, what do they do in the batter's box? They put a what on their back? They put a little donut on there. It doesn't make sense, you know, like glazed or chocolate. Like, it doesn't make sense. But, but they put a heavier thing on there because the strain will actually make the swing, right? So I started processing this like, why does he say strain? And then I flip just one page in my text before. Don't turn there. Just listen to this. Okay? From Ephesians. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Listen. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, if you haven't given credence to the fact that there is a strain or rather opposition in Christ, then listen, let me just encourage you, wake up. If you've never walked in a room and felt darkness before, I'm telling you right now, wake up. If you've, ever, if you've never been around a situation where you're like, oh my goodness, like, I, I can see Satan here. Now, I've been around a couple situations where I would consider the people either being tormented by a demon and one I would even say possessed. It is heavy, heavy stuff. Why is it a strain? Because there's opposition. There's oppositions in the human form, the persecution that will come that Paul was experiencing, and even more so, there is opposition in the spiritual. It is a strain. We're pressed up against something because we're pressing on through difficulty. Does that make sense? It's tough. This this isn't an easy pressing on. But he says we need to release the past and press on. And I love verse 14. This speaks to some heavy truth for us. Look at this, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, I think goals have screwed some of you guys up really bad. At the same time, they're, they're a blessing. Like, we need goals. Okay. What was the last goal that some of you guys had, right? Like, just think about that. I'm going to do this for X amount of days, or I'm going to go after this, or I'm going to get to this weight, or I'm going to try to bench press this, you know, whatever. Um, the bench pressing wasn't mine, just in case you were curious, but um, here's what goals do. When you have a goal, it means you're either going to meet it or fail in it. There's no ambiguity. See what I'm saying? The reason I say it screwed some of you up, because there have been some extra biblical goals that have been placed on some of your shoulders from those in the confines of the church that have set up a mentality in your mind that any goal as it pertains to the gospel is is something I don't want to be a part of. Because what happened is an extra biblical goal was set on you, not from the scripture, some leader, person in the church, a communicator. And so you, you thought that you had to do that to either earn God's love or to be a Christian. Hey, you, need, you better read the whole Bible in the next year or you're not X, Y, Z. And so then what happened is you didn't meet that goal and then you spent the next X amount of months, guess what? Like living in condemnation. Well, I guess I'm not this then. And you internalized it and you wrestled with it. And so then what you said is, well, I don't want to set any goals because then I'll never fail. But the problem is like Jesus is consistently casting vision for us, calling us to things. And so in this sense, it's not a goal of condemnation. It's a prize that he says, look at, the, look at the language again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knows what the prize is. The prize is not affirmation from man. Can we just release that right now? The prize in Christ is not other people celebrating your good works. Hey, way to go. You did it again. You served all of these people. You gave to the homeless. You were hospitable to those in need. And on and on and on. And most of our faith then becomes about the hug from the other believer that sees our acts of service. That's not not what he's saying. 
He's saying the prize is the upward call in Christ from God. And that upward call is one day I'm going to be perfected in Christ in heaven with him forever. That's the prize. So I'm going to keep going after that. But in the meanwhile, in the meantime, there's, there's a life to be lived. But he's like, I'm, 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 I'm going to keep pressing. Like stagnation is death. Then he says some really powerful stuff here in verse 15. Check this out. Let those of us who are mature think this way. <laughs> and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, like, come on now. Pressing on is a mature understanding of the gospel. In other words, stagnation can never even be a part of our language. Stagnation kills. The water gets smelly. He says mature believers think this way. They desire their prize to be in Christ. He says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Like, let us hold to this. Let's not waver for this. Let's keep pressing on. Now, verse 17, and this is kind of the, the, the haughty sense from Paul, it seems. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Do any of you guys talk to your friends this way, right? You're like sitting at the lunch table, you're like, hey, would you guys all join in imitating me? This would be great, you know, just come on. It's like big game of Simon Says, right? Well, how is this? Because obviously Paul's a humble dude, so how is this not haughty? What we would say here is this is the call of discipleship. It's come follow me as together we follow Jesus. Jesus says, at the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, also at the end of Luke, he says, go. In Matthew's gospel specifically, he says, go and make disciples. There's no exemption clauses in this room. If you are a follower of Christ, then your call is to be a disciple maker. And so the way that we term that here, what we see biblically is, come follow me, imitate me, as together we follow Christ. Well, now all of a sudden that starts to get heavy, because... Every single one of you, I hope there's a desire in you to be a disciple maker and simultaneously to be discipled. And so it's like weird. Like, how do we find that person? Have any of you, like, you, like, start to make it like a discipleship dating game or something, you know? Right? So you, like, go on the website and you're, like, you know, looking at pictures, right? Like, oh, they're 6'5", that's nice, you know? There's, like, all these, all these classifications on who can be your disciple, uh, men, men, let me encourage you with this. The, the way I teach Christian dating, I taught it at the college retreat last year, is you must begin with recon, reconnaissance. Any chick in this room, any dude in this room, before you get in a dating relationship, there better be weeks and weeks and weeks of recon, watching, seeing. How do they respond? Like, do, do they uh, hold a, a humble spirit? How do they give thanks? All of those things. And when I, like, most of the recon that most of you do is if they look good, right? Oh, I'm doing some recon all right, you know? (laughs) Mark, I've been doing years with a recon, you know? The recon reports come back good, you know? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Men in here, what what if the man that you desire to imitate like you saw him as, as a humble man, as, as a man who confessed that he was not perfected, as a man that you saw repent, as a man that you saw pressing on in humility, pray for that man in here who longed to be discipled. 
Pray for the kind of man to follow in Christ as together you follow uh, the calling of the Lord. God, bring this kind of man in my life. We have this, we have an amazing structure in this body in particular on disciple making. Like you have it at your access. Begin to pray for it. Listen, ladies in here, I I, I see this pattern too often. I I see ladies that, hey, Mark, I'd love to be discipled by a woman who's a really good, like who's really good with kids, who's a really good mom. And I'm like, listen, that's all well and good. We got a lot of great moms here in the body. My wife is one of them. Like, but I, I long for the women in this body to be discipled by women who embrace Proverbs that says that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, who they long to see a woman who is able to say, like, I've done wrong. I long to see a, a woman who repents uh, publicly and, and privately. Like, these are the kind of folks that Paul is calling us to imitate. So Im- imitating others isn't a bad thing. It's, it's, it's even, I would say, in, the, in terms of discipleship, a healthy thing. But the question for you is, who are you imitating? I'll tell you right now, like some of you are imitating some of your peers. Dear heavens. Seriously, like I'll walk up to a group of friends that have been hanging out for a couple years, and they all talk the same. Right? Like everyone has the same slang and the same like way of, you know, everyone like stands the same, like left hand pocket left, you know, like, and it's weird. And, and what starts happening in, in that group of friends, right, is you start imitating one another and then you wake up one day and you realize like how unhealthy it is because what you're doing is you're imitating each other's sinfulness instead of each other's repentance. Imitate all day long one another's repentance. Imitate it. Go after it. Share in it. Celebrate it. It's not haughty of Paul to say this. It's the call to discipleship. He goes on, check this out, I love this. Brothers, join me again in verse 17. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example in us. In verse 18, he drops a hammer. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm praying that we would be a crying church. And I know initially that kind of sounds like a Hallmark card or something. When was the last time you cried over those who didn't believe? When was the last time that that you felt the weight and the sin and the pain of the hopelessness around you and it brought you to tears? I'm praying that we would be a crying church over the lost. It's the people who are crying over the lost that should be sharing with the lost. Because they recognize brokenness. They know their own need. It's those who approach the lost in pride, who have never cried or prayed for the lost one day of their life, that are representing us. And I'm saying that has to stop. But the only way that it stops is if God breaks our heart for what breaks His. If God makes us tremble. Seriously, there should be pages in your Bible that get like the wet feel because there were days where you were reading the text and you were brought to tears and your Bible was collecting all of that that moisture. And days later you were like looking at the page and you were wondering how it got that way and you remembered, oh yes, that's right. I was reading that and I was brought to tears again because of the loss, the neighbor, the family member, the friend of yours. I'm serious, I'll tell you right now, when God brings us to genuine brokenness for the lost, that is when evangelism will happen in our life. 
Most of you have this attitude like, oh yeah, well I got something to tell you. And mostly it's you need to do this and you need to do that. And the heart of Christ is grace and love and extension of mercy. I love when Jesus cried at the the death of Lazarus and he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. Many of your favorite Bible verses, right? Jesus wept. Like he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he was just crying over people hurting by the death of Lazarus, even though he knew he was still going to raise him. That's the heart of your God. Okay? So picture Paul in a, in a cell in Rome, crying over those who are enemies of the cross. About those enemies, he says this. This isn't easy to hear. Their end is destruction. He says, their God is their belly. That's a really strange phrase, isn't it? Uh, So again, when I was growing up, I can relate to this because we had this thing called the Book It program. Are you guys familiar with this? So what would happen is in grade school, we would read a book and then we would get a personal pan from Pizza Hut. That's how it worked. Doesn't it sound amazing, right? So seriously, Keith, did you have this? Did you have the book it? Okay. Some of you guys, yeah, you had the book it program, yeah. So seriously, you would like read books and then you'd go and your teacher would be like, God bless you, here's a Pizza Hut personal pan. So I grew up associating food with reward, right? So then everything I did, I was like, all right, I walked to my house today. I, I should get a pizza for that. You know what I'm saying? Like after tonight, I'm like, all right, I preached two services. That's a pizza. Like that. that might even be two, you know? Like, like everything is reward-based. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just confessing this to you, all joking aside, like it is a struggle for me at times. In that way, my God has become my belly. Like it's associated with the pursuit of pleasure and lust and that somehow food could provide. He says, their God is their belly. Why? Because it's the things that feed them. But those of you guys who struggle with food at all, you know this. The same thing that caused so much pleasure in the moment or that took your mind off the hardship, you wake up in the next morning and the hunger is there again. Like it's never, ever satisfied. And I would say, like, could you imagine living like that? And the reality is you can because you used to. And some of you still are. Or your God is your belly. Whatever I can feed myself with, whatever I can stir myself with, whatever pleasure I can put in here, then I'll be okay. And then you wake up again the next day. And where you're headed, Paul says, is the end is destruction. Now, the cool thing is, listen, I want to give you an opportunity tonight to know that, like, it doesn't have to be. Your God doesn't have to be your belly. Your pursuit of pleasure and lust and pornography and and the abuses that you uh, indulge in to take your mind off the hardship. Listen, like, none of that has to be the reality. These enemies of the cross, he says, their God is their belly and the glory, and they glory in their shame. It's the opposite for us is like we glory in the person of Christ. They glory in their shame. It almost becomes their identity, he's saying, with minds set on earthly things. That's what they think about. That's what they're dominated by. They, They have no concept of something else or something more. But then in the scripture, one of the best words, and I know this sounds strange at first, but one of the best words in the word is but. Seriously, verse 20, you see this? But. But our citizenship, but our reality, our God is not our belly. Listen, our end is not destruction. 
But our citizenship is what? Is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I kept reading this over and over and over, and my heart was tumultuous. Here's why. How can we press on and wait at the same time? In the same series of verses, he says, press on, and in this text, he says, while we await a Savior. That makes no sense to me, because I've been in a waiting room. What does a waiting room look like nowadays? Okay, I was in one today. I was getting my hair did, okay? I was waiting, waiting on, on Hamid, okay, at Fresh Cuts up here. Some of you guys know Hamid. He's an absolute stud, best hair stylist. I think that's the terminology. Uh, here in St. Charles, love him, love him, because uh, he trims my beard too. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm sitting there, literally every single person in the waiting room, and the people who weren't working were doing one thing. Everyone was on their celly, all right? And I was on my celly taking a picture of them, right? But, the, like, that's what a waiting room is. Like, when I think of waiting room, it's the farthest thing from action. It's the picture of everyone sitting and no one doing anything except trying to distract themselves from the waiting. But I get the impression that Paul's talking about something else, that there's a way to wait and be focused, that there's a way to wait and not be distracted, there's, that there's a way to wait and somehow still press on. You guys know what I'm saying? Now, the key, the, the secret, the answer, we're going to find here in a second. But first, let's see how he ends this. He says, because of this, we will be transformed, this lowly body, he says, to be like his glorious body, like Romans 6 says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What he started out saying was, I haven't attained this. And what he ends up saying is, I will. I'm going to get there. I'm not perfected yet. I'm not with, in glory yet with the Lord. I'm not there yet. But one day I will. A glorious body just like his, Romans 6 says. It will happen. But in the meantime, how do we wait and press on? Okay, so I started wrestling with all this. I'm so excited. I started wrestling with all this, all right? And so I was like just scouring the text, trying to understand the heart of Paul. And I landed on what will now, and I, I believe forever, be my favorite Bible verse ever. Okay, I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to hear this. So he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 15, uh, to the church in Corinth, he just says some crazy, crazy things. Some, some of these things will be familiar, and others of these things will be brand new. Listen to this. Okay. For I deliver to you, he says, does Paul, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He's basically sharing the gospel to him. Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. I'm telling you that again, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he says in verse six, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And he says this in verse eight, last of all, as to one ultimately, uh, uh, ultimately born, he also appeared to me. Now, you guys ready for this? Check this out, verse nine. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. This is the same dude who says, imitate me, and he's like, I'm unworthy to be an apostle. And then he says this verse. And I'm, I'm serious, like, I wish you could just see my heart right now. Understand these words, hear these words for the first time. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
I have no identity apart from his grace. I have no reality apart from his grace. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. I am what I am. Like if if there's one verse that I would want every single one of you, like before you uh, fall asleep tonight on your pillow to be quoting, it's this text right here. Like by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says something heavy. He says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, God's grace on me wasn't wasted. I didn't take advantage of it. I celebrated it. And now you're like, but Mark, what bearing does this have on pressing on? I'll show you. Look what he says next. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Listen, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I pressed on. I worked. But here's what he says. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So what Paul is saying is, I rested, I waited, because I'm only anything because of his grace, and yet, at the same time, because of his grace, I pressed on. Because his grace is what fueled me. His grace is what gave me courage. I had tasted grace, and I wanted every single person around me to know that grace too. Then he ends with this. This is crazy. Whether then it was or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. He says, like, this is what I've embodied. What I'm saying is, if you do not understand grace, then you will find yourself consistently and repetitively complacent. The churches try to battle complacency with all kinds of different ways. They said, get on Bible reading plans. They said, find accountability groups. They said, just started going to church. And on and on and on. And what I'm proposing to you tonight is you will find yourself ultimately complacent if you don't believe the truth of grace. Paul says, I press on, and I worked harder, and his grace on me was not in vain, because grace was all that I had. Grace is all that I am. That's been the hardest thing for some of you to accept. Because many of you guys walk in here, and you're like, there's no way that, that he should ever, listen, deep down, this is what you're feeling, there's no way that he should ever forgive me for those things. I just want to make sure you understand what you're doing. When we believe those things in our heart, we're looking at the God of the universe and saying, the work that you did on the cross is not enough. God, there's no way that you would forgive me for all of the people that I've hurt in this way. What you're saying is, the cross isn't enough. Your sacrifice really didn't do it once for all. To forgive me, it's going to take something more. You see what I'm saying? You you don't believe in grace. And so because of that, it's going to create complacency. It's going to create fear. It's going to create a lack of pressing on. But for those that say, God, make me believe in grace. God, teach me grace. God, help me receive it. I, I know that I've struggled with it for years, and I know I've tried to earn it, and I know I've gone back and forth. What if tonight your prayer just became, God, make my heart believe in grace? And I'm telling you what, I'm serious. You wake up tomorrow morning and you say, but I am like, I am only me because of grace. I am what I am because of the grace of God. So I look at a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that I care for deeply tonight. 
believing that the fruit of this isn't saying, hey, everyone, just pull up your bootstraps and press on, but instead saying, receive what's yours in Christ through grace. I never understood the implications on on the Lord's Supper and how necessary it was in our understanding of grace. But I want to propose something different to you tonight. As I was growing up, this meal was like very rhythmic and patterned and didn't feel like it had life. It was kind of just like something we did, like the Christian ceremony, Christian pomp and circumstance. But even tonight, for me, it bears new meaning. My taking of this meal as a believer is my confession to him that needs to be confessed every single day, all day long, that I need his grace. And so by each of us here, as believers tonight, coming to this table, that's what you're doing. You're celebrating. You're taking a piece of the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ. And you're saying, I need this. Even though this is just bread, it represents something different. By taking this, you're saying, I need it. By dipping it in the cup, you're saying, no, I need the blood spilt from a Savior to do something with this wretched life of mine. Now, as I was thinking about this meal as it pertains to us tonight, I'm like, this meal in and of itself is the confession of believers. I don't want to spend one day in complacency. I don't want to... I don't want grace to be taken in vain in my life. God, thank you for grace. So because of it, I will press on. I will work, not because my work saves me. Because faith without works is dead. And so um, for a bunch of my friends in here that are struggling, wrestling, journeying, or tonight just want to celebrate, this meal is for believers. Come and receive this meal in joy and in grace.